Hello and welcome to the Commonweal Policy Podcast. I'm Craig Dale, I'm the Head of Policy and Research at Commonweal. Now, litter is one of the most visible forms of pollution that our society creates. Recent footage of sea turtles with plastic straws stuck up their nose probably did more to reduce that particular form of plastic pollution than years of political discussions. Everything from improperly handled waste, individuals littered in the streets, or even mass fly-tipping by criminal gangs must be dealt with. However, up till now, we've mostly dealt with it by targeting the litterers themselves, as necessary as that must be. Recently, Scotland and other countries have started to examine the concept of extended producer responsibility, which would target the, target the producers of goods and the packaging that goes on them, uh, that then goes on to become litter. One way of doing this could be to find the companies whose products are found in caches of litter or fly tips for the cost of cleaning up the mess and other mechanisms to encourage them to redesign their products to eliminate that waste at source. But to do this, we need to know what is being dumped and where. My guest this week is Jeff Kirshner, CEO and founder of Litterati, a company in the USA that enables communities to identify dumped litter in their area and to map that data to discover the worst products and the worst companies. Hello, Jeff. How are you? Welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Craig. It's a pleasure to be here. So just first up, first question, tell us how, how did Literati get started? Uh, it all started because of my kids. <laughs> I was walking in the Oakland, California woods with them and they were four and two at the time. And they noticed this plastic tub of cat litter lying in a creek. And my daughter looked at me and just said, Daddy, that doesn't go there. And that was an eye-opening moment for me, Craig. Um, you know, when she said that, it reminded me of when I was a kid, I used to go to camp and on the morning of visiting day, the camp director would say, quick, everybody go pick up a few pieces of litter. And so you'd get a couple hundred kids each picking up a few pieces. And within a few minutes, we had a much cleaner camp. And I thought, why not apply that crowdsourced model to the entire planet? Yeah, it certainly has images of me of even going to beaches these days. And it doesn't take long for you to look at what could be what should be a pristine beach and what looks from the distance to be a pristine beach you get up close and you start seeing bits and pieces lying around and um, uh, once you see it you can't unsee it and so was that was that the motivation that got you personally interested in this problem or was there some other other history of an interest in litter behind you no, it's funny how your children can get you to see the world in a way that you hadn't. That absolutely was the catalytic moment for me and the inspiration for starting. And, and what you said is true. Once I started seeing the litter and trash that was leaking out of the system, in a way, it was all I could see. And I started recognizing that litter was blending into the background of our lives. Um, it's so pervasive that we've just become desensitized to it. Yeah, I mean, uh, even just thinking about last year when I was uh, working in my garden and turning over soil, and it does not take you long to, to find old nails or bottle caps or any number of other things that are just yeah, ubiquitous in our environment now. And that's a horrible thing to, to say and to think about. It really is. But there's a lot of optimism in the sense of what technology can bring to bear. So I started asking this question, well, if it's blending into the background of our lives, how do we bring it to the forefront? And can we use technology in a way to visualize it and analyze it and then do something about it? 
And that was really, you know, one of the, the big motivations for starting Literati. Mm, and, and the core of your, of your company is a, an identification app that helps people do this. Can you talk us through that app and how, how, how it's used to track waste? That's right. So today, the um, the platform operates on Android and iOS. Anybody can download our mobile application and join a growing community of people who are taking photographs of litter in the environment and really become part of the solution. The way that you can think about it is that every photograph holds a tremendous amount of data. So we're able to understand what is being found, where it's being found, when it's being found. There's a geotag, so we're able to map everything. There's a timestamp with every photograph, so we're able to understand temporally when things are in the environment. And then we've built computer vision models, machine learning, that look at the photographs and can identify what are the objects and what are the materials and what are the brands. And when you think about the what, the where, and the when, you really start to build a, a rich data set that can lead you to the source of the problem and ultimately how to prevent it. What is the scale of the problem here? How much waste has Literati tracked so far? We're uh, just over 17 million objects, materials, and brands across 185 countries. Now it's over how long? Um, we really started collecting that data about seven years ago, and it's really ramped up. We're doing about a million pieces every couple of months at this point, um, anywhere from 50 to 150,000 images every day. And of course, you can only see what you're seeing. So it's, it's about getting as many eyes on the problem as possible. That's right. But what we've done recently that's been a really fascinating evolution for Literati as a company is we've recognized the importance of statistical significance and really scientific-based data. So when you have a community of people all over the world who are collecting that information, that's wonderful. And people are part of the solution. They're part of a community. But that data can have bias. Right? It may not be an accurate representation of what's really found in any given area. Why? Because let's say you and I are walking in Glasgow and you walk down half of one block and I walk down an entire another block. You've only done half the area that I've done. And so therefore we can't really compare those two blocks to one another. So what we've done as a company is we've built a research platform and we hire and train citizen scientists all over the world who follow a very specific protocol so that we can compare one block to another or one river alley to another so that we can get that data at a really scientific level. But we don't stop there. We then integrate other data sets such as commercial density, human mobility, points of interest. And when you can integrate litter data with other information sets, you really start to get some interesting correlations as an example Imagine what happens when you just look at only the Starbucks-related litter and then overlay a map of Starbucks retail locations. Some really interesting insights can come from just integrating those two data sets. Oh, I can instantly see, well, one density maps of, of the litter spreading out from each, each branch of the, the, the shop, but also possibly indications of traffic flow as people are driving away from these things. That's absolutely right. And what our data science team is puts together these different data sets and draws out these insights and then provides them back to the cities that we work with or the producer responsibility organizations that we work with or even the corporations that we work with. Because what we've learned is that for decades, 
we've been trying to tackle this problem, but our tools for doing so have been really limited, right? We've either collected no data whatsoever, or maybe we've used a pencil and a clipboard, or maybe if it's in a really advanced mode, people have used a spreadsheet. We think that there's a better way to take advantage of today's modern technologies, mobile and cloud computing, uh, machine learning, computer vision. And ultimately that is what we believe is the roadmap to getting us to solve the problem. Yeah, I'm going to have to restrain myself from becoming a complete stats nerd because this is the stuff that fascinates me in my day-to-day job and it's why I was so excited to get you onto the show. Um, just a couple of months ago, we had another company, a Scot- Scottish company, Astrosat, who, who do mapping data based on space, on satellite data. Um, and I, I just get lost in those maps for hours at a time if I'm not careful. Um, but enough about me and my geeky hobbies. I mentioned a phrase in our introduction, um, extended producer responsibility. Um, What does that mean to you and how does that apply to to waste and litter? Well, what extended producer responsibility means to to me and and I think the majority of people who are interacting with it is that the producers of material are responsible for the full life cycle of that packaging material, including the collection and end of life cycle. That information, that data about what's lying out in the environment, what has leaked out of the circular system can be incredibly difficult to obtain because of a number of reasons. One, it's, you know, hidden on uh, inside bushes. It's, you know, there are countless cigarette butts lying all over our beaches. um, And those items are often in varying states of decay and decomposition. That's not an easy amount of information to collect and visualize and analyze. But that's exactly where we're focused. And and because of the demand for that data, we see a really big opportunity to help inform EPR policy, to help inform what um, research is required to really, at the end of the day, make EPR something that can be accepted worldwide. And you know how obviously have a a massive database of, of different items. What are the general trends that you're seeing and what are some of the most common items that you've been able to track? Well, I don't think any of this will come as a surprise, but when it comes to the, let's talk about objects, materials, and brands. So let me take a step back. We have a methodology at Literati that we refer to as COM. It stands for category, object, material, and brand. And that's how we break down the, the items that we're finding in the environment. So a category might be drink, related or smoking or personal hygiene. Objects, bottles, bottle caps, cans, materials, plastic, paper, aluminum, brands, Coke, Starbucks, McDonald's. What I'm gonna share with you will not come as a surprise, but from the most commonly found objects, it is the bottles, the bottle caps, the straws and cans. When it comes to material, plastic, far and away is what is found out in the environment. And there are different types of plastic, obviously. Cellulose acetate, which is the plastic found in cigarette butts, is one that is unfortunately all too commonly found. And then from a brand perspective, it's the largest consumer packaged goods companies in the world. It's Coca-Cola, it's Pepsi, it's Red Bull and McDonald's, and, uh, and then many of the tobacco-related companies, such as you know, Philip Morris and, and others. And you know, this is a pervasive problem. And our belief at Literati is there is a responsibility to take care of this for, uh, you know, the betterment of all of us because it impacts the economy, the environment, degrades communities. 
it even is now in our food system. And so we believe that transparency through data is ultimately the way to really start to solve the problem. Yeah, and I've even, I've even seen reports of microplastics and plastic byproducts being found in blood samples these days. It's absolutely horrifying. I, I think I heard last week, and I'm not positive that my, my stat is accurate, but I think I heard that we are now ingesting about a teaspoon of plastic every week. Yeah, yeah, it was something like that. I'll find that source and I'll put it in the description of this podcast. Um, but Jeff Kirshner, how have companies responded to your data? Have any of them um, responded positively and come back to you? Or have any started redesigning their products to try and avoid being part of this problem? Yeah, there's one example that was incredibly inspiring. Um, and it's a company in Holland called Pervasco. Provasco makes a product called Antiflu, like anti-flu. It's a small cough, cough drop candy size uh, item, and it's always been wrapped in plastic. The Dutch community used the Literati platform to collect tens of thousands of data points around this particular product, took that mapped data to the CEO of the company. And to his credit, he said, give me a year to change the supply chain. And he did. And while I can't tell you with 100% confidence that all of the Antiflu products are uh, no longer wrapped in plastic, they put out an Antiflu product that is now wrapped in paper sealed with wax. And that to me is a great example of how an empowered group of people, in this case, the Dutch, were able to use a tool that provided a data set it created a change that's going to be benefit everybody, not the least of which is the positive PR that that company uh, receives for making a change like that. Mm. While I can still see the, the avenue for litter from waxed paper, um, at least in the short term, you know, it's still better than plastic because at least it will eventually decompose. That's right. I mean, it's a baby step, but it's a step yeah. in the right direction. And when you're trying to solve a problem that is this big, all of the little nudges in the right direction lead up to eventually big change. Yeah, and then it's what can we do to get the bigger companies to follow, follow that? That's right. So I do need to, there was one question that came to my mind when I was, I was thinking about you that. What is the most unusual item that someone has reported or what's the most unusual location that someone has reported waste being found in? Well, I'll, I'll make this very personal. So... As you can imagine, I've photographed quite a bit of litter and picked up, uh, you know, everything I photographed. One day I was walking about a mile from my home and I saw this item lying in the grass and I took out my phone and fired up the app and snapped a photo of it. And then I picked up the item, which was a paper envelope and turned it over. And would you believe, Craig, it was a letter addressed to me? That blew my mind. And I, it was one that had already made it to my home. I had opened it. And what I can only guess is that when I placed it in the recycling bin, either I, I didn't accurately place it in the recycling bin, which at my home, we have curbside recycling. We're very fortunate. So either I missed somehow, or when the recycling bin was picked up, it flew out of the recycling truck and ended up in the environment. That was, you know, somewhat comical, but it was really an eye-opening moment again for me saying, even with best practices, things leak out of the system. 
right? It's not always that somebody is throwing something intentionally on the ground. There are any number of reasons why a bottle, a can, or an envelope in this case may not end up where it's supposed to be. And, and in that case, it was either my wrongdoing or the poorly designed waste bins uh, that were emptied. Yeah, I mean, this, this is something I've once had a conversation about at a, at a, a policy roundtable um, here in Scotland uh, on the circular economy and pointing out that a lot of the rhetoric on, on litter is really is focused on individuals. You personally have to have to segregate your, your waste in the proper way. And if you don't, if you fail, you are the problem. Um, but as you say, even if you do everything right, things leak. Well, it's, I think, a byproduct of an incredibly complicated system and years and years of mass production, which is based on our, you know, consumptive habits as a population. We expect to be able to have immediate gratification, whether it's a quick bottled water in a convenience store or a pack of cigarettes. Um, people want things to consume and they want them now. And there's been a disconnect clearly in how we are manufacturing our different products. What is the infrastructure in specific localities to be able to handle the end of their life cycle? And then how we as human beings are, are thinking about that. I, I also want to go back to the question you asked about where's the strangest place that anything has ever been reported. I, I'm going to tell you, Craig, at this point, I don't think there is one because there is waste found on the top of Mount Everest, on the bottom of the Pacific Ocean, and in the far reaches of every corner of this planet. And that's a really sad reality, um, but it's the truth. And I think if we don't begin to make more informed decisions, the problem is only going to continue to escalate. Yeah, I mean, I was recently watching, um, along with my wife, we were watching a one of these celebrity survival challenge shows you take people put them on a remote island in the pacific and watch their suffering as they as they try to survive um but even there you could see that the beaches were just swamped in litter and debris and detritus it was really quite depressing again once you see it you can't unsee it it's a uh unfortunately not isolated to a particular country or a particular city. It is something, and, and, and here's, so here's the positive side. You don't have to get on an airplane or travel five hours to be part of the solution. You can just walk out your back door because the problem is again, so pervasive that if you want to collect data that informs smarter policy, more sustainable packaging, and creates better responsibility. All you can do is walk out your back door. There's almost guaranteed some element, some cigarette butt, some can, some straw that has leaked out of the system, and you can collect data immediately and contribute to something, you know, for the greater good. How important is it to have transparency right the way through the supply chain? You know, from cradle to, to, to waste disposal. I'm, I'm thinking especially of a, an article I read not that long ago about tracking plastic waste that was put into recycling and ended up going to landfill or going to an incinerator, you know, several countries away. So that was, again, some an example of someone who, in good faith, has recycled their waste and yet it has not resulted in, in recycling. Transparency is critical because... 
it helps us understand what the entire life cycle of any given product is from the moment it's born until the last you know moment it's out on the planet uh, as they always say there is no way right and so having visibility into the flow of that material from the moment the oil is extracted out of the ground to create you know a piece of plastic to the manufacturing process to the production and distribution and the retail environment and the consumption and the final disposal um i think having that transparency helps us really understand comprehensively how the system works and where there are inefficiencies and where it's just broken and also where it's working well so for uh, for us, yeah, we believe it's it's really important. I'm going to put you in a, in a bit of a spot here and give you a hypothetical question. I'm the president of the US, or I'm the first minister of Scotland, and I have just phoned you up and made you the the leader of a waste task task force. I'm giving you absolute power to sort out this mess. What policy recommendations do you have? What do we need to do? Wow, that's a great put me on the spot question. <clears throat> I think it does come back to transparency. So, you know, without thinking this through beyond more than the 10 seconds you just gave me, I would think that if you can use technology that ultimately provides ongoing, verified, validated data that can be monitored over time, that will help inform the proper policy. So I'm going to take a roundabout answer. I don't know that I would give you, here's the policy that is needed today. Where I would start with is let's get smarter. Let's understand the waste that's leaking out of the system. And let's begin to, to, to monitor that so we can show evidence of progress or the lack of progress. I think at the end of the day, what people are looking for is change. And if we can demonstrate change over time, by the way, change meaning things getting worse things or things getting better, that can help us isolate the problem and that would inform the policy. But I do think it begins with verified, validated, transparent data um, that comes in a statistically significant manner that would ultimately allow us to form the appropriate policies. Now, the theme for my podcast this year is communities. Um, I'm, I'm trying to find community projects going on primarily across Scotland, but if I have an international audience, then I want to find out the interesting things that people are doing in their communities and your communities, um, including projects like this. Um, if anyone else is out there and they're doing something uh, interesting in their community that they want to share about and help to inspire others, please get in touch with me here at the Commonweal Policy Podcast. I'd love to have you on the show to talk about what you're doing. Um, but community is at the heart of your project as well. You, you've mentioned that it's, it's communities that are driving this, this, this data collection. Can you give us an example of, of one community that is doing this in a, an organised way? And how can a community in Scotland, for instance, get in touch with you and, and become uh, one, of, one, of, uh, one of your data gatherers? Well, there are a number of uh, communities that are on the platform you know, micro communities that are working together towards uh, an objective that they have. Um, you know, one of my favorite stories was a community that was just a fifth grade class 
years ago that just wanted to identify what was the litter on their schoolyard, just on their campus. And so they ended up identifying 1,247 pieces of litter. And from the data learned that the most common type of litter were the plastic straw wrappers from their own cafeteria. And so the school just stopped buying straws. That's a great example of how the data led to a really wonderful change in the purchasing of a particular item for that school. Um, today, there's a group in Monterey, California, that is uh, trying to collect, I, I think their objective is 22 pieces a day per person uh, for the calendar year 2022. And it's all about bringing youth in Monterey, California together to, to try and drive change. Um, anybody can go to our website, literati.org. Anybody can download our application. We have uh, something called challenges. So anyone can create a challenge or anyone can join the challenge and be part of a community that is driving towards a particular initiative. There may be a community that's all about identifying cigarette related material. There may be one that's all about plastic bottles and plastic cans, um, excuse me, or aluminum cans. There may be one that is geographically located. So there, there's a bunch of communities on our platform um, that, that, you know, that use the tool to, to really bring people together. Our belief about community is very simple. It's that it provides inspiration because with today's problems, today's massive environmental problems, people feel a sense of overwhelm and isolation. What difference can I possibly make to help out with climate change? And that feeling is lonely. You don't even know where to begin. Community gives you that the strength to take that first step to say, you know what, I'm not alone. There are other people who are also committed to solving this problem. And there's strength in numbers and that feeling of overwhelm turns into one of inspiration. This is something that we've also talked about at Commonweal and with all the caveats that, um, that I mentioned before about individuals only only being part of the solution here. You know, even if you do everything personally correct, if the system is failing around you, you know, there's still going to be problems. Um, but a lot of pollution um, has does have a global impact, but it has a very local source. So we can address it, you know, from a, a very micro level. And it, it, often it does mean addressing the systems. It does mean telling that company or that shop, you need to do better. That's absolutely right. And what's interesting about the localization of litter and waste is that I'm going to guess that the coffee branded packaging that you find in, in Scotland is per potentially very different than what I find in, in the United States, or even on a micro level, there are coffee shops in one neighborhood that don't exist in another neighborhood or convenience stores where they have, you know, branded cocktail napkins that are all over the place. There's a local aspect to this that um, the data can help inform that can help guide those conversations back to a company, back to a brand um, and really visualize the problem. Say, look, this is where your material is ending up. Literally, this is the specific point on the planet where your material is ending up. There needs to be a better way. There needs to be change. So I'm going to put a link uh, to Literati in the description of the podcast, and I'm going to encourage folk in Scotland, get involved if this is something that is of interest to you. And if any communities in Scotland do get involved and do start gathering data, let us both know. Uh, I might get you into the podcast in a year or so to talk about it. Um, but... My last question for you, Jeff, what's next for Literati? Where are you, where are you hoping to, to go with the company? 
Yeah, we're really focused on all things data and the data science. We have started working with a number of um, uh, states and, and countries um, to do national baselines and begin to work with um, these citizen scientists who go through that training that we provide to collect data at scale. For us, that level of uh, transparency, that level of data collection um, and being able to do that anywhere on the planet is really where we're focused. We're, we're doing a project in Africa at the moment. We're doing one in the UK at the moment. Um, and we are always looking to partner with, whether it's an NGO or a municipality, um, or even a corporation who wants to understand what is the truth of what's leaking out of the system so that ultimately it can inform better policies and, and packaging decisions. Well, once again, Jeff, thank you for coming on to the show. It's been a fascinating chat. Good luck with the company. I'm certainly going to keep an eye on it. I might even sign up myself. <laughs> right, thanks so much. really interests me. Thanks so much for having me. I, I really appreciate it. And I'd just like to end the podcast, uh, as I always do, by telling folk that Commonweal as an organisation is entirely funded by our donors and supporters. We we don't get government money, we don't have corporate sponsors, we don't even have adverts on our website. So everything we do from our policy development through our campaigns to this podcast is all supported by our supporters and our listeners and our donors. So there's also a donate button in the description of this podcast if you'd like to help us out and help us continue. Um, there will be no podcast next week, I'm afraid, because I'm going to be on holiday, I'm taking a short break, but... We will be back the, the, the week after, so please keep listening to the show, keep sharing it around, keep talking about it, get in touch if you want to come on to the show, and I'll see you next time.